coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And let me start the Thursday show by just apologizing in advance. There have been uh, some glitches, a lot of them uh, just uh, between my earlobes uh, this week when it comes to uh, getting the show airing in its entirety on the America One radio app and AmericaOneRadio.com. So for the benefit of those who listen to the show that way and that way only, you're going to get a good bit of recycling today. Uh, Melita Easters joined me a couple days ago from the Georgia Gang on Fox 5 uh, WAGA Television. Also, she is the executive director of the Georgia Win List. We have lots of questions that we wanted to go over with regards to Mifeprestone and other uh, abortion-related legislation, some other things going on throughout Metro Atlanta and Georgia as well that she and I covered. And then yesterday, I had a great conversation with Joe Lancaster from uh, Reason Magazine, Reason.com. He wrote a piece that talked about uh, Georgia essentially seeing hundreds of millions, if not $1.2 billion in some total, potentially going to waste in subsidizing and uh, backing the Rivian expansion, the Rivian plant expansion, coming to social circle. As a matter of fact, in today's AJC, which reports of a meeting last week with Rivian's CFO, Claire McDonough, and Bank of America Securities, where she paints a rosy picture, expecting to drastically increase production of its flagship electric pickup truck next year. McDonough telling those investors that she believes the startup will become profitable by the end of the year 2024. Uh, as the story tells, Rivian has burned through billions in recent years as it began mass production of its R1T pickup, R1S SUV, and electric delivery vans for Amazon. The story continues, the company's growing pains, exacerbated by supply chain issues, led to its stock tanking last year and prompted renewed efforts to raise capital. McDonough said the groundwork has been laid for Rivian to stop bleeding cash and become profitable, by the fourth quarter of 2024. Important because the plant that's being developed to open in Social Circle, Georgia, is expected to open by 2026. Yesterday, when I'm talking with Joe Lancaster at Reason Magazine, I'm wondering if Rivian even makes it to the ribbon cutting. Headline, Georgia is shoveling cash into a failing electric vehicle company. No, not an electric vehicle company. We need electric vehicles. Joe Biden and the White House just ramped up the numbers that they want to see percentage-wise for the amount of electric vehicles in this country. We need electric vehicles to succeed. Joe Lancaster joins me from Reason to Discuss. Joe, thanks for joining me. Uh, again, as, as someone who's left of center, I, I definitely want to see more electric vehicles on the streets, and, and I hate to see headlines like uh, an electric vehicle company is failing and taxpayer dollars are being chased in its demise. So fill me in. What's happening with Rivian? I saw a Rivian. Have you seen a Rivian truck in, in person? I've seen a couple on the road. Yeah. They, oh. uh, and honestly, like I, I agree. I think that like electric vehicles are in the long run, a good thing. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I believe that climate change is a real thing. I believe that human activity plays at the very least a substantial part in it and mm -hmm. i i agree there we should do something to to mitigate that um but yeah so rivian is a fairly new company it's only been around about 12 or 13 years and but it makes these luxury 
all electric trucks and SUVs. They are kind of billed as being like a cross between like the functionality of a Tesla with the high end luxury of like a Range Rover. Yeah. And so, I'm, I mean, I've, I've never sat in one. I've seen them, but I've never spent a lot of time with them. But by all accounts, they seem to be pretty great. Uh, but as sometimes happens with new companies, they are having a hard time getting to producing them at scale and getting to a point where they can produce them efficiently. Uh, they've like I said, been around just over a decade or so, they've taken in billions of dollars from investors, you know, mm -hmm. people who, people who like you and me see this and say, this is a, a, a good goal to have. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like in on it. Uh, but possibly one, I mean, one of the biggest and most notable investors, um, in a different way than, than, you know, a large company might is the state of Georgia. Right. There, uh, Ravine is building a factory in the town of Social Circle, which is about about an hour outside of Atlanta. Right. Uh, and the plant itself, or the project, is getting total of about one and a half billion dollars worth of state incentives, either from the state or from the consortium of counties that uh, have kind of a joint development agreement. Um, and the that money is going to come in the form of tax ex state tax exemptions. Mm -hmm. It's going to be they are essentially being there's about two thousand acres on which the project is or on which the facility is going to sit. Mm -hmm. That that um, land is currently held by the the state, and it is like leasing it to to the company, and. Um, so, I mean, the, the state used state funds to acquire the portion of that land that it didn't already own. It's using uh, state funding to do a lot of the, uh, the maintenance and the upkeep on it. Mm -hmm. and, but long, long term, it is expected to be a, uh, an expenditure of $1.5 billion worth of incentives for this company that, like I said, over the past few years has taken in billions of dollars from investment investors and from uh, its uh, IPO but but isn't a, a significant share of the the EV market even now as we speak and now it's on shakier ground yeah um, I mean right now the Tesla is essentially the the giant in the electric vehicle space you know uh, uh, mm -hmm. Last year or the year before, I think two out of every three electric vehicles sold in the U.S. were Teslas. But we have reached a point where more and more automakers, due to demand, due to advances in technology, are are seeing that electric vehicles are a viable, uh, a, a feasible reality. And a lot more are starting to build them a lot of automakers are starting to build factories or upgrade current factories uh just through uh last just in last year sorry in 2022 mm -hmm. there were over 30 billion dollars worth of factory new factories and upgrades pledged by existing automakers i mean they're definitely they're moving into this space but at the same time this is it's kind of a new industry to most of them. Uh, Ford, and 
switched a lot of its current um, production over to electric vehicles, and it said it expects to, expects to lose. Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but it's two to three billion dollars mm-hmm. um, this this year just on electric vehicles. And isn't Ford an investor in Rivian? Yes, uh, that's that's a funny story. They initially were going to kind of partner together. Ford put in a little over a billion dollars to get around a, around a ten percent stake in the company before. Um, before it was publicly traded, and they got about a 10% stake, and they were going to develop um, electric vehicles together. Over time, they eventually announced that Ford announced that they were just going to, they weren't going to develop vehicles with Rivian anymore, and they were going to do their own thing. Now they have, you know, the F-150 Lightning, which people are gonna, getting on waiting lists to get their hands on. Um, and after Rivian went public, and this was about uh, a little while back, I think about a year and a half ago, um, insiders, people who had stake in the company already have a certain period after the company goes public that they're not allowed to sell. It's usually a, a you know part of part of the going public process to kind of you know retain the the core investors. Sure. as as soon as Ford was able to sell, <laughs> it sold the overwhelming majority of its shares something like 90 million out of about 102 million shares Mm. um and it and the reason is because when when they went public the the response was huge they were they were briefly worth more on paper than ford itself and over the next few months their stock price started falling it started it kept falling it really has not stopped falling since then because they are having trouble putting out product yeah i mean they keep missing goals uh and it's it's not even a question of order because amazon wants a certain number and they're not able to hit it to 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 reach amazon's order so in reality rivian needs this plant but will will it will it survive long enough to see the 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 the, the ribbon cutting? I guess is the question. The, I think that's a uh, that's that is the big question because you know the state of Georgia, Brian, uh, Governor Kemp has said you know they are all in on this. They had a, an event a few weeks ago in Atlanta. They they called it the Rivian Day. You know, just really doubling down on their co- uh, commitment to this project. But at its current burn rate at the rate at which it is burning through cash it will be out of money in less than two years (laughs) that's scary stuff and we we live in we live in a country with such a healthy appetite for vehicles too and what Mm -hmm. 1.2 billion dollars in state funds could have done for i don't know mass transit or uh (laughs) you you know giving us uh, you know greater street cars or how about you know Mm -hmm. some uh some rapid rail between the city you know these are the sort of things Mm -hmm. that come to mind when you think about that kind of money but uh, i mean you even broke down in the article and by the way we'll share it in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com uh you know the, the 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 open question do these sort of incentives actually incentivize if you ask the people who are in charge of making these decisions like the your state uh development agencies the uh state government agencies responsible for kind of uh going out finding and incentivizing these deals they'll say that yeah they do because otherwise they would go somewhere else you know they would go to just makes their job easier let's be honest yeah yeah but 
there, I mean, there are studies that kind of look at the numbers in these types of deals. The And the reality is a lot of times incentives are not what pushes a company over the edge over whether they're going to put a factory here or whether they're going to put it somewhere else. I mean, if you remember, uh, probably one of the, the biggest examples of this type of deal over the past few years is, is Amazon when they mm. announced that, you know, they've got this uh, huge presence in Seattle where they started and they wanted to build HQ2, like their second Right. big corporate headquarters right. and all these states and cities came out and they put together these these lavish proposals i remember at uh atlanta's Atlanta you know that they absolutely were and ultimately amazon did not go with the the city that gave them the most stuff if they did they would have gone to dallas or to cleveland but no they went they initially picked new york city and a dc suburb which, if you think about it, was probably where they would have gone anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, because, and, and well, we yeah. remember we remember famously that you know Amazon was sort of being chided in New York. Yeah, and they ended up pulling out of that uh, that deal because it they did get a lot of of negative pushback over the you know I think it was the site they chose and mm -hmm. and what the um, residents of the area thought it would do to the area. Uh, right now, they're they're building their uh dc area facility just around the corner from me and they i think they recently announced that they were going to going to put a pause on the second phase of that well and we're experiencing that here in atlanta with microsoft as well a lot of the folks who uh especially a lot of the home flippers who bought and flipped houses in west atlanta are sitting on houses now because microsoft is putting <laughs> the pause on things Fantastic story. I'm going to share that again in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Joe Lancaster with Reason. I appreciate you giving us a few minutes of conversation to talk about Riven, and we'll keep our fingers crossed. I mean, we definitely want more EVs, and I love seeing my state involved in getting the electric vehicle production up, but uh, at what expense, right? That's the question. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. So that was my conversation with Joe Lancaster from Reason Magazine at Reason.com. Uh, that story posted yesterday uh, from Joe and Reason, wondering uh, if George is throwing its money away, backing Rivian. And today, in the AJC, just curious timing, in today's AJC, you get the headline. Top Rivian official says production ramp-up will spur profits by 2024. Well, the, the production ramp-up hasn't really ramped up all that much for the company to see any sort of even shrinking of losses to even get to where you're breaking even or thinking about profits. However, yesterday's article comes out, and now today we get an article in the AJC that, oh yeah, by the way, the CFO of Rivian last week met with some uh, Bank of America securities people and had a rosy outlook that says profitable by 2024. Um, the timing. I'm just curious about the timing. And, and maybe there's nothing to it. Maybe it was just one of those stories that was there and there just wasn't room for it. I mean, there's, it's, Everything's online now. There's always room, right? It's just interesting, the timing. That's all. My conversation with Melita Easters after the break. Welcome back to The Ron Show, a rainy Thursday in the ATL and throughout North Georgia. I was reading a piece today that got me to reaching out to an organization called the Georgia Innocence Project. They are an organization that uses DNA evidence and research to help clear people's names. In today's Atlanta Journal-Constitution, an eye-opening story 
Uh, Maya Prabhu wrote this. Mark Neese as well from the AJC. Georgia Senate blocks payments to men who wrongly spent decades in prison. Which would naturally lead you to be outraged, right? If these folks were wrongly convicted and the state owes them money, then give them the money. Tells the story of Terry Talley, who uh, in February 2021 walked out of Dooley State Prison after a judge overturned four convictions that sent him there 40 years ago. 40 years ago. He was 23 years of age in 1981 when he was convicted of a series of LaGrange sexual assaults that he insists he didn't commit and resulted in four life sentences. The story says a DNA test in 2009 proved he didn't commit one of the crimes, but he still had three life sentences from the other assaults that didn't have DNA evidence. So the story goes to tell Tally's story, and uh, now that he's 65 years of age, living with his mother, working for the LaGrange Police Department's Animal Control Office, making about less than $400 a week. So the Georgia General Assembly was supposed to grant him $1.8 million that lawmakers determined he was owed after serving 25 years and eight months for the four wrongful convictions. But there's a holdup. The story says the process to repay Georgians' release from prison after being wrongfully convicted broke down this year with legislators failing to approve resolutions to pay them for the time, livelihood, and freedom that was taken from them. As Tally said, I did no wrong. They took my life. As far as building a family, all my friends passed away. Coming home, not knowing anybody but your family, I had hoped I would have gotten some money so I can start my life over. Here's the rub. But State Senate Majority Whip Randy Robertson of Catala. Remember Randy? Pro-Buckhead City Randy? That Randy. The story reads, Republican and former Sheriff's Deputy Randy uh, Robertson asked a state Senate subcommittee to delay the resolutions that would have paid the men a total of nearly $4.5 million for errors by the police and courts. Uh, I believe there's like three other gentlemen involved in this. Senators also stalled a bill to set up what supporters call a more rigorous and objective compensation system. All of them can be considered again when lawmakers return to the Capitol next year. Randy says... These four cases that were brought this year, I think, no, I know, by reading all of the materials, I know that these individuals are not exonerated. Robertson said that he believes that despite Tally and some of the others having been released, that that doesn't mean that they're innocent or deserve to be compensated by the state. Again, we've reached out to the Georgia Innocence Project. Hopefully, we'll have somebody on to uh, discuss this situation and these cases a little bit further. Bliss Savage telling the AJC from the Georgia Innocence Project, it's another year these men are going to have to try and survive without any additional help. Many people think that this nightmare of wrongful convictions ends when people walk out of prison. Unfortunately, that's not the case. They often come out without any money, transportation, or health care. Whether guilty or not, at some point in time, there has to be a reckoning, an adult conversation in this country about what it's like for someone to walk out of a prolonged jail sentence and start their life all over again. It's very difficult. And actually, we sort of set this table of recidivism, this return to a life of crime and imprisonment with all the obstacles that are placed before someone who comes out of a prolonged jail sentence. You have to apply for a job, right? Well, if you've been convicted, you've got to answer that question. And listen, I get it. There are some jobs that 
you certainly want to make sure the person you hire doesn't come with some sort of background that makes you question their ability to do the job and not get caught up in crime again. I totally get that in some respects. In other respects, if someone who may have served time wants to go stock groceries overnight, let them stock groceries overnight. If they want, by the way, I didn't know this. I was talking, in fact, I was talking to a guy who had served time today, wants to be a veterinarian. Great. Do you know that in every state there are regulations that prevent someone with a felony record from becoming a veterinarian? Not from graduating from veterinary school, but from becoming a veterinarian. Why? Why can't someone who served time become a veterinarian? Too many obstacles exist that prevent people from building a life after time served. We'll talk with the Georgia Innocence Project, hopefully in the coming days, about this scenario. And Terry Talley's case and cases just like his awaiting their compensation for time served. Back after this. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. And I mentioned before in the first segment on today's show that you're getting a bit of a recycling job today because uh, we aired a good bit of yesterday's conversation with Joe Lancaster from Reason Magazine in the first segment. Uh, Last segment, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the uh, unjust lack of compensation for those who are wrongly convicted. So you may be listening and thinking, oh, well, this is a new Ron show. I mean, kind of, sort of, but at the same time, we had some glitches earlier in the week that didn't allow for those of you who listen on America One Radio and the America One Radio app to hear these segments that I'm giving you today, Uh, Joe Lancaster's interview being one of them. Also, earlier this week, I got to speak with Melita Easter's. She is the executive director of the Georgia Win List, also a recurring pundit on Fox 5's The Georgia Gang, which airs Sunday mornings 8.30 to 9 on WAGA-TV. Wanted to ask her, what's going on with the Mifid-Prestone fight now that the, I call him an activist judge, it's very activist on his part, to go back 20-some years and say the FDA did not do its due diligence on a drug that has been on the market for the last 23 years and has been proven to be safer than, oh, I don't know, say Viagra. So I, I guess the question is, is, is Mifeprestone still legal or not? Or can they prescribe it or what? So the Texas ruling gave a seven-day window for his ruling to take place. Mm-hmm. Then um, Monday afternoon, at the urging and request of President Joe Biden, the Justice Department filed a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals challenge, which seeks suspension of the Texas ruling while the full legal appeal is adjudicated and and all of the hearings and filings are given the time to go through the normal process. So I would anticipate that they will issue a quick suspension of the Texas ruling at the Fifth Circuit, and then they will allow the attorneys on both sides of this matter to begin to file their pleadings and um, schedule hearings. The thing that's interesting to note is there were more than 100 studies of Mifepristone before it was approved. Mm -hmm. It's not a dangerous drug. It's been approved since 2000. It's four times safer than penicillin. 
and I might add, 10 times safer than Viagra. And nobody, especially the white men who predominantly are the powerful ones in the Republican Party, are trying to regulate Viagra. You're right. So it's about women, it's about control of women, and it's about stepping into private, personal, medical decisions, which should be left to a woman, her medical team, her family, and when she wants it, her spiritual counselors. I remember when (laughs) The Handmaid's Tale rolled out uh, on Hulu for the first time. I'm like, this is just a bit over the top. It's hyperbolic. And yet there was a storming of the Capitol and (laughs) women had no choices within months. We live in Looney Tunes times uh, where a drug that has been as vetted as Mifeprestone is somehow still winds up uh, in a judge's hands. And of course, the Trump appointed judge did what a Trump appointed judge we would expect to do. Well, a Trump appointed judge who did not consider a body of medical research. Well, we saw we saw this in the Georgia legislature, though. We just saw this with the with that's 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 what we see happening. Yes. The the medical established medical bodies like the national um, OBGYNs, the American Medical Association, these groups find themselves totally ignored by Republican judges and Republican legislatures. And you, you, you have, in addition to this, you have a whole new body of legislation that's being proposed in other states. We're lucky. Georgia's legislature is shut down for the year. Mm. They said sine die at the end of March. But in other states, you have um, laws still being proposed. For example, the governor of Idaho on Wednesday of last week signed a law which makes it illegal to provide help within the state's boundaries to minors who are seeking an abortion without parental consent. So, for example, a big brother or an aunt of a young woman who's been sexually assaulted or abused by a family member or or whatever, those people can't help her go out of state in Idaho under this law to get the abortion care she needs. And this is just raising a whole new specter of um, of unexpected legal challenges. Can Can one state say that you can't go out of state to get a procedure that's legal in the other state. There's all kinds of constitutional challenges that these laws will will set, set in place. I almost wonder when are we going to start seeing barbed wire at the in uh, checkpoints at the state line. This is creepy. Well, it's very creepy and and we clearly need a national understanding about reproductive health care which puts the woman at the center of the consideration, not some religion she might not practice, Mm -hmm. not the beliefs of a conservative group who um, might be in, in deep violation to her own religion. I mean, there are religions that place the life of the mother at the center of any um, Health care decision, not a fetus which could not survive outside the womb. So you 
are the executive director for an organization that uh, backs and I would assume recruits even candidates to run for office. What's it, what's it going to take? What, what what is the tipping point? Or, or are we are we there yet? Do you sense a tipping point where you know women and advocates for reproductive choice have simply had enough, and there are converts coming over from the middle and maybe even just the the moderate right who are just fed up with this this trajectory we're on. Well, where we are is that the Georgia General Assembly's most recent vote on abortion care was the 2019 House Bill 481, the six-week abortion ban Mm -hmm. that basically went into effect after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Now, the General Assembly has changed dramatically since that point, since when 2019, in 2019, when that law was passed. You have a new speaker, you have a new lieutenant governor, you have in 2023, the largest freshman class ever in the history of the General Assembly. Mm -hmm. And even in 2020, after the 2019 law was passed, you had some seats which flipped from red to blue. So you have a very different General Assembly in Georgia, which will consider any future legislation. And I can assure you that WinList will be recruiting for seats where we believe we can flip in 2024. Because what you have to do is you have to have a majority of legislators who will oppose further restrictions on abortion law in Georgia. And if you don't have a majority who will oppose the legislation outright, you need moderate Republicans, suburban Republicans, who are willing to walk on a vote and not vote at all. Is, is that even a disheartening sales pitch, though? We're, we're on with Melita Easter, by the way, from the Georgia Win List and WAGA's uh, The Georgia Gang. Is it, it's, it's that sales pitch that, well— Let's get enough people in the state legislature, to, state legislature, just so it doesn't get any worse. Well, we want to. The goal is to repeal the six-week ban yes. if the court doesn't have the backbone to overturn it. Mm-hmm. The goal is absolutely re- to repeal the six-week ban. Of course, but yes, it is an effective sales pitch to say we don't want it to be any worse because we are surrounded by states where it is worse. And so there are the majority of the citizens of Georgia oppose further restrictions on abortion. 68 to 70 percent want abortion to be safe, legal, and hopefully rare. And when you have these medication, this two prescription protocol, going back to your first question, that's used in more than 50 percent of abortions, that has the chance to happen. You also have to go back and look at the study of the women who sought abortions in Georgia for the 12 or 13 years before Roe v. Wade was overturned. Because, you know, Republicans say, oh, everybody knows they're pregnant by six weeks. If it's an unwanted pregnancy, they can take care of it at that six-week point. Mm. Well, that argument was shot completely 
down when this study revealed that only 11% of the women who sought abortion procedures in Georgia in the prior, the little over a decade before Mm -hmm. Roe v. Wade was overturned, only 11% of them were six weeks or less pregnant. So 90% of the women who got abortion procedures immediately prior to the overturn of Roe v. Wade in Georgia did so between the time of that six-week new law and the then 20-week law. And that's attributable to just having a lack of health care access, right? Well, in Georgia, we have dreadful health care access outside the metro area or the largest towns. Mm. More than half of the Georgia counties no longer have an OBGYN. There are hospitals which no longer deliver babies, even in rural Georgia. And so many women in rural Georgia must drive more than an hour to deliver a child or to receive OBGYN care on a regular basis. Now, you know, the governor and and the Republicans love to talk about um, bringing new industry to Georgia. But these small rural towns with no hospital and no OBGYN have a snowball's chance of recruiting big industries because big industries don't locate in places where their employees can't safely deliver a child or plan a family. Any chance we could somehow nuance a referendum on this? You you talk about how the state's overwhelmingly in favor of abortion, uh, safe, legal, and rare. Well, referendums usually require a two-thirds vote of the General Assembly. So it's going to be easier to pass a law Mm. than it will be to get a referendum. Now, you could possibly get a referendum on one party ticket or the other, but it wouldn't be a binding referendum for legislation. The reason they don't accept such a dare is because they know know. they have gerrymandered their districts with surgical precision. They have selected their voters rather than their voters selecting them. So even when Democrats put credible, highly qualified candidates up against some of these Republicans, there's no chance for the Democrat to win because the district is so gerrymandered. That's right. All right. I mean, we we saw, for example, I'm just going to give you one example. Um, Senator John Albers, he's in the Senate leadership. We had a brilliant young woman, Sarah Beeson, who ran against him in 2020. She's now on the Roswell City Council. She came very close to surprising and shocking him on election night. Mm -hmm. She was rewarded by having her subdivision cut in half with her half out of John Albers <laughs> district. You can't make this stuff up. So we found out this morning the Democratic National Convention will not be coming to Atlanta. Your immediate thoughts on that? Well, in many ways, I'm not terribly surprised. Mm. Um, and thank you for having me on the program, by the way. My um, pleasure. Thanks for coming. The um, new mayor of Chicago is a bit like the flavor of the month club yeah. at an ice cream store. <laughs> You know, he's the latest, greatest, newest um, celebrity in Democratic politics. And so his election, coupled with the fact that you had 
um, a promise to underwrite the expense of the convention and make sure there was no public debt. Mm. If this convention were located in Chicago, combined, I think, to overcome the very effective sales job that Atlanta had put forth. And I think in some ways, there's also a secret um, of the Irish heritage in Chicago combined is is a secret tug on Joe Biden and his Irish heritage. There are parts of, of Chicago that are more Irish than certain parts of Ireland. And, <laughs> you know, in, in Chicago, they dye the river, the river. green yeah. for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And and Joe Biden, I've, I've heard him described as the most Irish of all the presidents who've claimed Irish heritage. And so that probably had some little tug at his heart as he made the final decision. That being said, we still don't know that Joe Biden's going to run in 2024. Well, the reports are saying that he will, but he hasn't, he's not ready to make his official announcement. Mm-hmm. Who knows what will happen? But um, it, it is sad because Atlanta really put forth a great effort for trying to secure the convention. But we have to remember that we are a state where our gold dome is completely under Republican control. Mm -hmm. The governor and both houses of the General Assembly. We have very few union hotels in downtown Atlanta. We have a guns everywhere policy in Georgia. We have restrictive abortion laws in Georgia. We have passed laws um, that are against high school transgender athletes in Georgia. So as much as we wanted to do a sales job about the wonderful aspects of Georgia and Atlanta's history and civil rights and and other progressive things that that make us a, a fine place to do business, as Brian Kemp would say, there are also some policy black eyes for the state of Georgia. Yeah, you're right when you put it that way. So we're coming up on a hard break. Back with uh, part two of my conversation with Melita Easters. We'll dive into the funny Willis watch, Cop City, and Rick Steiner. And no, we're not going to talk wrestling with Melita Easters, but we are back with Melita on the Ron Show after this on the American Radio app, AmericanRadio.com. Welcome back. Final segment of a Frankenstein Ron Show. You would think I'd be doing this for a Friday, but uh, actually, I just had a lot of uh, real estate stuff come up today and some personal stuff to take care of as well. And also, we had some glitches earlier this week that sort of made it impossible for those of you who listen on the America One Radio app or at AmericaOneRadio.com to hear conversations I had uh, with Joe Lancaster from Reason Magazine. And by the way, these are all on podcast forms uh, from yesterday and Tuesday as well, but you'll also catch a little bit of it in today's podcast form as well. Let's get back to my conversation a couple of days ago with Georgia Winless Executive Director and recurring pundit on Fox 5's The Georgia Gang, Melita Easters. Let's uh, move on. Are you hearing anything from the Fonnie Willis camp? I mean, we've, we've got one set of indictments out already, and uh, the, 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 the natural reaction from the right, of course, is to dismiss those. But Well, here's the deal, and people forget this, but Donald Trump's team filed a Sears and Roebuck catalog, practically, (laughs) judicial brief requesting that the special grand jury presentments be set aside and quashed, and that all evidence they received not be utilized. And so 
that legal document, a motion to quash in Georgia law, takes precedent over everything else. It has to be heard before Fannie Willis can move ahead with anything in front of a grand jury. I believe her staff has until some point in May to answer that motion to quash. But that motion to quash has to run its course before any indictment by a special grand jury can be returned because the judge has to rule on the validity of the special grand jury presentments and the evidence collected by the special grand jury before any of that evidence can be presented to a regular grand jury, which would then issue indictments. Days ago, we found out that uh, civil rights icon, Black Panther icon, Angela Davis, returned her proclamation from the city of Atlanta and, of course, released a video explaining why she did so. And then we awoke today to see a letter from Bernice King of, of the King family, adding to the scorn from the civil rights community with regards to the Atlanta Police Training Center. I had uh, Amir Faroqi on yesterday and talked a little bit about that. And the general sense I get from just about everybody I talk to on council is it's going to happen. But the opposition and the voice of the opposition seems to be growing, does it not? Well, I think that opposition has been there. I mean, I think you have, at this point, you have a lot of people with their heels dug in yeah. on both sides. Atlanta does need some sort of training facility for its police environment. Agreed. Does it need to be multiple times larger than the similar facilities in New York City or Los Angeles? Maybe not. Does it need to be in that particular spot? Also, perhaps not. But everybody has their heels dug in. And, and the business community has already ponied up a lot of money for this facility, so their heels are dug in. And yet the protesters, I mean, they point out quite rightfully that this whole outside agitator label mm. was in some ways created by the fact that the last round of arrests were made after a large number of people were corralled by law enforcement at the scene. The locals were let go, and they arrested only those from out of town. So both sides have done their own forms of spinning. Mm -hmm. But I, I think, you know, it, it is very fair to say, and even the city officials have admitted this, that this whole process was mishandled in the way community residents were informed and communicated with. It is unfortunate, but perhaps it is also the, the primary factor in, in making that happen so poorly is the fact that the site for the police training facility is completely separate because it's in DeKalb County. It's yeah. in city-owned property, but it's in DeKalb County away from the districts of all the council people mm -hmm. and the mayor and the city council president who vote on the police training facility. So those residents feel they have no voice and they are correct. Mm -hmm. In many ways, they don't. I wanted to ask you about something that uh, I heard Sunday morning watching uh, the show, uh, The Georgia Gang. Uh, Angela Davis was mentioned. I think she was, 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 I think she was a loser. Was she not a loser? A Phil Kent loser this week for returning. Uh, yes, she her, was. And, and I have to, you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to, but I, I just, my, my eyes hurt from rolling sometimes when I watch because he uses terminology. He, he went with the communist label 
He just, you know, quickly lobbed out. Oh, by the way, she's a communist. The the red smear stuff with the Black Panther movement from the 1960s and 1970s. I, I did we not bury that? Did we not put that in a trunk and up in the attic? Is that not an old relic that we just don't need to go back to anymore? The the red smear really. I just I don't know. I was kind of grossed out by that. Well, I again, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> I will say only that many people put that aside. Ugh. Many, many, many of us, and um, and some of us never used that terminology to begin with. But Phil is a creature into his own um, vocabulary. Right. Melita Easter's joining me earlier this week from the Georgia Win List and Fox 5's The Georgia Game. That does it for the Ron Show. Back tomorrow, five to six p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com. Have a great one.